Welcome to the DC Yoga Podcast. My name is Chris Parkinson. I'm your host today, and my first guest is Paige Litchens. Uh, Paige is a uh, DC native, uh, grew up here, and uh, teaches yoga all over uh, the DC metropolitan area. And um, what I'd like to do, instead of giving the standard bio, is read a little uh, something that she sent me before our our meeting today uh, and kind of start there. I asked uh, all my um, hosts or my guests uh, where they started practicing yoga or how they started practicing yoga um, or how they discovered yoga. And uh, hers uh, is, uh, is, really, um, is really sort of, I think, emblematic of the way a lot of people come to yoga, um, and yet at the same time totally, um, totally singular to her. Um, she says, I started out meditating first in life as a teen in the 80s, and it helped me dealing with an abusive alcoholic drug household. Then in the 90s, I did a yoga VHS at home with Jane Fonda and also took a class in college that discussed various methods of Eastern healing that included yoga. Didn't really start yoga until 2000. I used to be an auditor and worked next door to Unity Woods in Bethesda. We would hear uh, banging on the wall. I thought yoga was supposed to be a quiet practice. So after an audit session, a friend and I signed up for a beginner series. I remember the teacher going over how yoga helped heal her foot. Then we stood in front of the mirrors and spent weeks just learning the details of standing, the four points of the foot and lifting our knees. Ugh, I hated it. Left and didn't come back till years later. Do you still remember that? Oh, completely, yeah. So what didn't you like about it? Do you remember that part? I, I was in my 20s. I mean, a 20-year-old going to that and that much detail. I often tell people, I appreciate that detail today, but I was, that was just not where I was at. Um, I was a very athletic person, moving going wasn't there for the part of oh this will heal me I was I was healthy so to hear it was nice but it wasn't where I was at and you were like you thought maybe yoga was going to be more of like a, a physical experience like more of a vigorous workout or yeah yeah to, to a certain extent and I wasn't quite sure what the banging was about and I was like oh, oh, why, why do we keep hearing banging I thought yoga was the zenny chill out place so some parts of me were ready to chill out too but I didn't appreciate the standing in front of a mirror and standing there for an hour. Yeah. And then and then what happened? You didn't come back till years later, but what happened in the meantime? I went off and did a whole bunch of other athletic things, and that's when I also injured myself. Um, most people know it's... I, I was skydiving, um, period of my life doing that, and on uh, one of my jumps, um, I was landing, about to land, and somebody, a new student, ran in behind me with their parachute, crossed the parachutes, collapsed the parachute, so my back just basically whole body just hit the ground full force broken back went through all the healing and then the doctor looked at me when it was finally healed lots of things with that and he went you don't need therapy you just need to go about doing the right things to help yourself and I remember thinking okay so I went to the gym I'm athletic and I tried to do a sit-up <laughs> I couldn't even sit up so that body connection went what so I was like okay what else can I do yoga so what, so what made you go back to Unity Woods? It was one that I, I understood the root and the tradition of it by then and knew of John and knew about the people there. Um, by that point, I was in Arlington, so I went to the one in Arlington and took a level one, two, totally different teacher, different level of it. It was much more intriguing to me. What did, uh, what did you like about it? So this is basically, mm -hmm. we're talking about Iyengar yoga, right? Right, right. Um, I did like the fact that it was challenging by the time I took the second one. I mean, I can remember when they were half moon pose, and I, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, that that's so far out. How do you do that? Um, so it definitely challenged me. Um, 
from there, I only did that one series. So that was just their 12-week series. I ended up moving to Old Town, mm -hmm. um, got married, and said, let's do something together. So we went to a different studio, which was the Pier Prana at the time. And that one had a lot of different diverse styles to it. So we just started off there, and that's really where I continued. Who was running Pier Prana at the time? Natasha. Natasha. Yeah. And, uh, and it's no longer it's no longer there? No, it's Yoga Works now. It's Yoga Works now. Yeah. And here I am years later there teaching. So yeah. sometimes it feels odd to be in the same rooms with my teachers. Yeah. And you didn't go right into teacher training. You no. were you were doing yoga for, for years and years before yeah. you did yoga a teacher training. About four, four and a half years. And, and I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't have no idea why I started teaching. So, but well, you're right here that you, somebody suggested you do mm -hmm. it, and you're My just mentor. like, you're just like, okay, like I guess I'll do it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'm happy to talk about Dave. Uh, Dave was my mentor. I yeah. did his uh, Shivananda style every Saturday, and we were talking, and I and I, I just suggested, you know, I wanted to know more. And he, there's this teacher training coming up, and he said you should totally do that. And, he, and did he lead the teacher training too, or was no, not at all, not at all. And his his comment was, knowing my background as more of a accountant, recruiter, business-like, he was like, you're going to have a totally different voice as a teacher, and that's why you should do it, do it. And I really didn't know what the heck he was talking about. So I did it, did the training, sat down with him afterwards. Now what? Well, you've told me to do this. Now what? And he looked at me and went, go teach. And where did you start teaching? I had a gym. Um, oh, my gosh. Fitness First. It's no longer Fitness First. It's now Gold's. Gold's Gym, yeah. But fitness first on a Saturday. That's great. Yeah. Mm. I actually have a couple of students still now that come to Yoga Works who remember that. Wow. So from when you first started teaching? Ten years ago. Whew. Yeah. And they actually come back with pride. They're like, we were your first students. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and now and now you do um, teaching full time. Yes. That's been for the past three years full time. And when did you give up your full time gig? That was about a little over three and a half years ago. Um, so I had a dissected artery in my neck that caused a stroke um, almost six years ago. Mm -hmm. And trying so hard to just get back to my life, it just wasn't happening. And made this just overnight, just went, just put next foot forward, go teach yoga. Yeah. What was it about the first injury you had, the skydiving incident? Mm -hmm. What was it about uh, that incident what did you learn from that vis-a-vis? -vis? Once you started learning all this stuff about yoga, mm -hmm. how did you did you how do you think about that now? Like in terms of, um, were you where you became more aware of your body, what was good for your body, you know how to work with injuries? Um, no, I don't. I don't know that it roughly came about then. You know, as much as people probably were pointing those things out. Um, I still had a really big disconnect with what I wanted, what I wanted to get back to or get to. Um, a lot of it was around the fact that a lot of my life was spent improving, have a goal, always goal, always have something. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember when I became a CPA, like when a friend called me, congratulations, you just passed, I just saw your name on the board, and I literally went from that to what's next. So a lot of my life driven by that got to do, got to go, and couldn't enjoy where I was at. So it took a long time before I started to go, but enjoy now. Yeah. Be present now. Now is good enough. Um, 
but I didn't get that immediately. I think that could have been really helpful at the time. Um, and when did, so that was a gradual process for you or was there yeah. like an aha moment where you're like, oh, that's what this yoga thing is about? No, I think a lot, especially by the time I got to Pure Prana, there was fortunately in those days, talk like I'm really old, back in those days, but back in those days, you, you went to class and you learned a lot more than just pose. It was normal to talk about the chakras and the, and the sutras and to talk about the energies, to chant. You know, I was in a classroom that had dharma, jiva, but, you know, just in general, you could be in a vinyasa class and they're still going to bring it up. Um, so I received all that, but I didn't put the link into what I teach. Now is more of a, a, a mindfulness, more right. along that lineage of what are you doing? What are you feeling? How, why are you being so hard on you? yourself which goes back to the hindrances and specifically in a buddhist zen practice and i found a lot of that resonated with me and that didn't start till maybe like six years ago so take us through one of those early classes then mm -hmm. maybe we can maybe we can start to chart the progression sure. or the evolution of yoga because i've never really thought of it the first class ugh, i mean i had my my drawings and the whole script and the whole thing out and i could barely even swallow Mm -hmm. um, and just trying to remember everything I wanted it to be and have my playlist and how to get into the gym and turn off things like fans and lights. And um, one of the gyms I ended up teaching at was right next to the Guitar Center. So I had that element of like, Shavasana just won't be the same. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, a lot of it, uh, watching that a lot of my training, as my mentor taught me, was... Now my training begins. I really didn't look at it like I've got to be know-it-all. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I started to see what I didn't learn just in 200 hours. Boy, is that a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and that actually made me look at people's body types and say, here I've got a, a larger body type. And I actually ended up taking prenatal training. Not because, one, I don't have a child. And not because I planned on teaching prenatal, just happened. But I used it, I thought of it as an avenue to work with larger body types in a positive aspect, mainly because I was looking at my audience and going, okay, for beginners in a yoga center, that's totally different than what I see as a beginner in the gym. Now, how am I going to incorporate that? So... And in the, in the beginning, did you did you do like Dharma talks? Did you do chanting? Did you do all of that at the beginning, or was yeah. it just you did? As a matter of fact, I think back on it in the gym, it used to be sort of funny. Um, I hated the lights. I hate fluorescent lights, and they didn't have any other light. It was too dark. I carried a lamp, <laughs> and not a small in your bag, one. Yes, <sighs> just over the shoulder. Go there goes my lamp. I'd bring in my little Ganesh. I'd bring in my things. Still chant, Om. Um, that's just who I am. So I was like, oh, I don't see any need not to bring a little bit of Dharma discussion. Yeah, that's great. So, so did you typically start out a class with a Dharma talk, or did you like kind of weave it in during the class? Did you wait till the end? How did you kind of go about? When I first went that? to it, it was always like sort of the start, and then to weave it in at the end. What is this? What is this about? But I tried not to do too much. Honestly, as a two hundred hour teacher, fresh and new, it was mostly asana. Right. I didn't even really start teaching complex pranayama until I'd finished my five hundred. So take us through that. You did that at Kripalu, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned that um, when, we, when we discussed a little bit earlier that, um, that Kripalu was a little bit different mm -hmm. than all the kind of stuff that you saw around here. Tell us a little bit what you experienced up there. 
Well, it was after my stroke. And I, again, can't tell you why, but I just went, I just need to do something and have a goal. Again, goal-oriented. I think I'll do my 500 in the midst of all this. And where will I go? And I did look into ones around D.C. And I remember meditating with it and thinking, well, what, what is my reason for not going to a place that's away? And it was, oh, but that takes time and that takes money and then that takes, you know, flying. And I went, well, so? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is that holding you back? Um, read a lot about Kripalu. And I, the first minute I read it, I went, I'm so, that's me. That's where I'm at. And I was so glad. So glad because it's exactly where I needed to be just emotionally for what I was going through. And to be around different cultures, different places, and to see how yoga is taught outside of the district. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back to the classes you used to take before you even did teacher training. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that they did sort of a lot of pranayama, they did a lot of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, was that sort of the standard back then, or could, or can we actually can we make a, a generalization about yoga classes? They were say in you know circa two thousand six, two thousand five. Right. Um, was that kind of the way you saw it at yoga studios, or was that what you were seeing at gyms? Like where were you seeing? I think I saw most of that in studios. Yeah. Now, I'm a firm believer, because I teach in corporate as well, that it doesn't need to just be in the studio to have that. Right. And I guess I guess sort of what I'm getting at is that you don't typically see that, that much in the studio anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we maybe don't need to opine as to why. Yeah. Um, you know, that may just be the market. But um, I guess uh, trying to chart a course of where yoga has been and where mm-hmm. it's where it's going in D.C. Yeah. Um, and how it was uh, how it was done differently um, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Right. Well, and I'm not a believer that it's right or wrong. Yeah. Um, everything has its way of changing and, and doing that. Um, I believe as a yoga teacher, it's no different than other lineages of teaching. And people f- have to fi- find their own voice and find their own way of communicating it. It hasn't been somebody else's way to do it. Okay. I do think um, what happens is, is, unfortunately, I think the only place for students to learn more has been in teacher training when maybe they didn't want to go to teacher training. And you are starting to see that change with 100-hour levels where te- students are going, no, I want more. I just don't want to be a teacher. Right. So where do we do that? Yeah, so. on my last on my last uh, podcast, I um, I made the uh, I made the statement that my next yoga teacher training is not going to be called yoga teacher training. It's mm-hmm. going to be called yoga training. Yeah, absolutely. I'm taking the teacher out of it. Yeah, and let me know. I'll come and I'll I'll, be, I'll help with an aspect yes. any part you want me to. <laughs> because I, I, in my classes, I would tell you the feedback I end up hearing is is when the, even if it's the first time you've ever come to a class, I've taught you something. They literally will leave with, uh, I didn't know that. Whether it was about their anatomy, about themselves, just about their breath, whatever it is. But they should be learning something about themselves, awareness of themselves. Yeah. Um, And now you teach, what, 20 classes a week Mm -hmm. about? Yeah. How many different studios, how many different gyms? Like, give us kind of an overview of, like, where you go. It sounds like you do some corporate stuff. You do some, you kind of do a lot of everything. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I think it's all locked in and safe and it's like steady and then it changes on me, Um, which is fine. I'm very organized. Um, So I did want diversity in it. I have been in places where I was only in the one space. Uh, So I I liked um, moving around to different venues to teach with places outside of these people you're going to see in the studios. Because as you and I have discussed, I think there is 
it's just still a small percentage when we're talking about yoga that we still have so many other people to get that to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you, so let's break this down a little mm -hmm. bit. You um, don't really teach a lineage. You teach kind of what's in front of you. Is mm -hmm. that sort of the way you teach yoga yeah. class? Yeah. I'm thinking of it in many aspects because I was also trained with Ayurvedic science with it. Uh, usually what I'm doing is, is looking at my audience, their energy. I have some ideas of what I'm talking about for the week, by the way. Um, for the week, I can break that down into different styles, whether I'm teaching a gentle class, whether it's a more vigorous class or a more meditative class. They're all going to have sort of the same focus and theme, the Dharma. Mm -hmm. I'm also teaching it based on the Ayurvedic for the season. So I have Vata season right now, so I'm focused on much more grounded work. Um, most of DC needs some Vata help anyway. Break that down <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> yeah, for us. Yeah, the Vata, the place where they're also dizzy from the day or, you know, in the Vata times of day, and just trying to make them feel a little bit more centered and grounded. Um, very simple places where they're not trying to overprocess, and they're going to be a little depleted, more than likely in a busy city. So that in corporate, and, and I also teach in a rehab for women with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. um, so many people can come into these places thinking, oh, I do vinyasa, which isn't bad. we got to meet them where they're at. I can do a slower vinyasa. I can introduce them to yin. Some days in the corporate I get there and I can see I need restorative quickly for them. So I just sort of look and gauge, where are they? And I could be at a totally different level, like energy-wise, and then I can totally see where they're at. And that's where I have to meet them. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did want to get into um, uh, into with you was um, Yoga Nidra. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a, a primer Sure. on Yoga Nidra? Because uh, yeah. I know you're into it. And we haven't really yeah. gone over it with anybody here on the podcast. Yeah, and, no, happy to. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm certified in what's called Divine Sleep Yoga Nidra. Um, little plug for my teacher. Yeah, let's hear it. Because I'm actually happy about this. Um, Jennifer Reese is from Kripalu, um, but she comes to the district area. She's actually going to be coming to Recharge next year. She reached out to me and was like, any ideas? And I was yes, Washington, D.C. needs you to certify people. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be just yoga teachers. I've actually done the training where I was with other therapists, and it can be helpful to anybody who's trying to understand the state of mind that they're working with, especially if you're working with people who maybe have suffered through trauma, PTSD. Um, there is a place within for those that understand the koshas, to understand that what we're doing is how we're talking through the various levels of the body, breath, and mind. Mm -hmm. um, I, too, was guilty of teaching yoga nidra before certified, thinking I knew what it was because, you know, you took somebody's class and then you, you know, you read the blue book, as she likes to call it. But there is a much more in-depth part to it. Um, so I took the training. Very glad that I did because now it's one of those where it's in your back pocket. You have any problems, nervousness in the class, or shavasana is hard for people, you just pull out a segment of it so that you're understanding what you're doing and how you're talking to them through that. Yoga nidra is an ancient practice. means yogic sleep. Mm -hmm. Interesting, though, because there's different depths of all of our stages of our mind. Um, sleep has different stages to it. When we're in a state of sleep where we're dreaming, we're still very active. So I tell people all the time, you, you're exhausted because you were bu probably busy processing, s dreaming. Mm -hmm. There's a state when you're not dreaming where the mind is very clear. It's not active. Problem is you don't remember it because you were not active. Right. <laughs> 
But I'm my point of pointing out is there is that place. Now the other place is a state of consciousness, right? We know it as samadhi. Mm-hmm. And it's been an interesting one. I've been talking about this one lately. Is Samadhi, even to me, always felt like this nice sort of mountaintop, but I was never going to get there. I mean, it was just a view. Um, because people would use words like, oh, it's bliss. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. Bliss. I'll be in a happy state. I guess there's clouds and unicorns on bliss. <laughs> I don't know. Very nice. It is. But at the same time, it's not what that meant. I'm like, I like to think of it as just this place where... I'm, I, there's no desire to change it. And Contentment. That, content. Compl- and, and content, but at the same time, content isn't the right word yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm like, imagine a place where it's not wonderful, but you're not trying to change it. See, that wouldn't even fit content, though. Right? I could be, I've got a headache, but I'm no longer trying to change it. Would be yeah. no desire. No, that's a great way to look at it, yeah. And says... But the minute I let go of desire is samadhi, is let it be. It's not permanent. Um, and that, for me, goes, you actually do experience those moments in yoga. But it's rarely pointed out. It goes, oh, and you someday get to bliss. And you're like, no, you actually just experienced a moment of samadhi if you felt no desire to change it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Um, so tell us, uh, so keep going. Yeah. Yoga Nidra. Keep Yoga going Nidra. Yeah. So I teach it very quick elements of it, 30 minutes, um, and then longer one hour. And sometimes I integrate it with bowls, gong. Um, it's been wonderful watching people in D.C. who, first of all, don't know what the word is. They all hear yoga and go, ah, down dog. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's okay. Lay back and listen. Um, I've even known studio owners that don't know what it is. I had a studio owner years ago who wanted, she came up, she said, for your yoga nidra workshop, let's get some pictures of the poses. And I went. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A lot of people laying down <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> How many pictures did you want? How many asanas did you think we were doing? So, yeah. um, but I do find, even with the studio owners, a lot of them don't attend it. So they don't really know what it is. And they like the idea of it. So I think there's still, what I see is a disconnect between what the students really want and what you know the managers or the people doing the programming practice themselves mm-hmm. so um but i'm all over doing that all over the city now so i'm very happy take us through a like a standard class like of a yoga, yoga nidra yeah yoga nidra class um talking about what it is and also more importantly what it isn't for most students they tend to come to me with i thought i was supposed to not think and it's not that. That's not the process. The process is to allow yourself to go from conscious, subconscious states of your mind. You may go to sleep. The difference of that, again, is that quality of more than likely you're not going to be in a dream state. You're still going to hear my voice, and I'm going to walk you through the koshas of your body. Usually start out with just your body scan, noticing your breath scan. Sensory, understanding the senses. Maybe if there's time and safe enough, journey. And then we back it back out. Um, what it does is it relaxes the body to a deeper level. So you'll hear people say this equates to one hour of yoga nidra equates to four hours of REM sleep. Yeah, it can rest your body to a deeper level. Think about it, though. It basically, what you're doing is holding your, your whole mind in a state of it doesn't have to overprocess and dream. It doesn't have to worry and doubt. It's just there. And I've done this with firefighters post-traumatic syndrome. Mm-hmm. One class, and they've already felt the effect. 
Yeah. And these are people that couldn't sleep for like a year and a half trying drugs, trying things. They can't always explain what just happened. But in the state of being able to show them that it is possible, a glimpse of possibility is all they needed to see. So are you, you're basically guiding them through mm -hmm. the layers of their body. Is the idea to like let go at each stage or is no. it to, or is it to just accept where you are or what is, what do we, it's what neither, are you asking you're actually not, it's not like a form of mindfulness and not feeding them with tell yourself something. Right. So not, for example, don't change what's there. Bring all of your attention to the part that we mentioned without it having to be, what am I supposed to do with it? Nothing. Just, I asked you to notice your fingers and that's it. Um, and it, and it is one where you want them to feel like they're in charge still. This is not where, you know, they're going to turn everything off and be there. That's a scary place for somebody who's been traumatized. And uh, my movement is very little in the room. I also tell them if I tell them very <laughs> briefly that I'm going to mention the S word, the snoring, <laughs> and they laugh and they, you know, you get the ones like, oh, that's going to be me. It can happen. But we talk about what we'll do for that. And sometimes it's just let the snoring happen. So it's, it's, it's just more about observation than mm -hmm. observing what's going on. Of the current state. Yeah. Keeping it in current state. Yeah. And how would you then, because that sounds an awful lot like meditation. Like and there's a, some a of fancy word for saying meditation. For med well, yeah. I consider it a form of meditation. Yeah. Um, I know that some say no, that it isn't. Um, to each his just own. labels anyway or I whatever mean, you know yeah. <laughs> yogis love to argue about everything right i yeah. mean i remember about the bandhas and they were like it was you know the uriana muliana they're like where it is and i'm like uh, do we care yeah. <laughs> you know? not really specific I'm, i get the idea um again it, with my training the speed of how i talk in it matters because mm -hmm. you could have too many gaps too many things that could put them into sleep so there is a technique to it. It is meditation, though. Yeah. Tell us about your, because um, you came to meditation before you ever did yoga. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. How was that introduced to you? Actually, um, through my Episcopalian youth group. That's really cool. Isn't that? <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I was in an Episcopalian youth group where we meet once a month, form down at St. Albans, and would meet in the basement, talk about, Things that you do as a teen, you think nobody understands you and, you know, lots of deep issues. Obviously, I had a lot, you know, raised in with my alcoholic mother and issues and fights. And um, we would have all these deep talks and we'd end it with meditation. We actually ended it with massage, too, which, you know, I'm like, oh, no, maybe people would think that's strange today. But it's where I learned about, like, this isn't a sensual thing. This is healing, healing power of touch. Mm-hmm. So it was with the pastor who like led you through the meditation, no. or was it was just? It was just volunteers, the adults I'd gotten to know, um, and we would just sit and talk, and then after talk, have a moment of healing and meditation. Through that, I learned how you sit in your bedroom while your parents are fighting, and remember that it's not permanent. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. Why I ended up that way. My brother did not. So I don't know. I don't know why that was an alternative versus taking darker paths. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're so lucky and blessed to have that. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was always, it's not permanent. And I used a lot of visualization, a lot of breathing, and knew that this would end. 
Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it sort of you, you were sort of a natural meditator. Yeah, but I think uh, I think yoga, like when we're always asked, like when did we start? Oh yeah. From birth. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, of course. The yogi in us is it's it's about human nature. Sure, of course. Yeah. Um, life is in a lot of ways one big struggle to find stillness. To get back to that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so tell us a little bit more about um, your training since um, you came. You went to Kripalu. Mm-hmm. You've been doing an awful lot of things. Yeah, I've, um, I've done specific you know, trainings in yin with my fascia release. I loved my teacher, Joe Fay. Um, most people don't know her, but you know, they can look her up. It was we love name dropping on this I show. <laughs> she was am- she's she is an amazing teacher, and what I learned from her was, uh, you know, to question what we think we know. I sort of always did, but to hear her say it out loud, I'm like here we are in in a class that was very you know anatomy, and and then she'd point out, and what do we really know about that? And she'd say, don't know, don't care. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And she'd point out, line us all up, all. 10 bodies and take a stick to the shoulder and go, can you see that everybody's different? Do we really care? No. We just need to be able to offer that person to, to explore that themselves. And how do you put, uh, you teach myofascial release classes or mm-hmm. do, you just, do you just like walk into your yoga class and just throw <laughs> tennis balls on the floor and go, both. okay, today we're just doing this. Now both. <laughs> <laughs> because I carried the tennis balls because they're the easiest things as a prop. Yeah. In the corporate offices. Yes, I do take them in cor- corporate. I've taken them places where I teach um, at places where I'm just like, I can just tell I'm going to need the balls today. I can just, I can just see you at the, the metal detectors. They're oh, like, complete. they're taking, they're taking the lamps out of your bag mm-hmm. and the p- statues of Vishnu and yeah. then the tennis balls. And they're going, what the hell Well, the is security guard's always doing? like, what the, what the <laughs> heck is she doing? And then they're like, I'll be back. I'll be back there. I'm like, come on back. It'd be great. You yeah. know, they, they're so cute. The security <laughs> guards are always like, namaste. I'm like, do you know what that means? You know, but it's cute. But I did. I taught um, a rehab, an outpatient rehab the other day. The first place I, I knew to go with the balls. Because um, I'm going to have the skeptics who are going to, I don't do yoga. I did. I had a young man. I don't, he, he actually sat on the couch. I don't do yoga. I said, good. We're not doing yoga. And come on down. Because we're not doing yoga. We're, yoga does us. But anyway, for, you know, but it got him into it. Yeah. So, um, but I do teach specific myofascia and yen as well. Uh, and your own practice mm-hmm. at home. My own practice is different. And it had to be after the stroke uh, was just to accept that it, it wasn't going to be the ashtanga I knew. You know, we're just not going to be two hour practice. Yeah. And I had to let go of that. I had to let go of what I thought yoga was. And I've even heard recently from, uh, from a teacher, he said, it should change. I'm doing something terribly wrong if I'm still doing the same practice that I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And that would be correct. Yeah, so Your body needs things at different stages of your life. And right. I mean, if, if we have to, I mean, if what we're teaching is to accept the change that happens in you every day, then doesn't that mean that probably the poses we're going to practice and the styles we practice is going to change depending right. on where we are and what we need. Right. I mean is it helping or hurting me? Yeah, and I course. did a lot of hurting me um, to try to get myself into pose. How many can you count or did you, how many injuries did you have doing yoga? 
I don't even know how many, just a lot. Like that yeah. a lot? That oh, was wow. That was, you know, what led me to chiropractors all the time and lots of, of imbalance. And I was just hyper pulling on the pelvis and couldn't even lay still at night. And I'm like, well, this isn't helping. But it never dawned on me to, okay, I'd go to chiropractor, get adjusted, come back and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, very much trying to understand that when I let go of doing that, let go of doing the, that sequence and doing it, it all healed. And I'm actually stronger than I used to be. It's amazing the way the body heals itself if you give it some time. Yes. You give it, you give it the nutrients that it needs. Which is also why teaching restorative is huge for me. Um, really understanding why we're doing that. Why are we finding power in the energy healing? If I can just set a person's body into a place where it's no longer fighting with itself, yes, it will heal. Can you make a distinction between the body fighting with itself and, you know, the ego fighting with the body? <laughs> when I use the term, bo- the term body, though, I am referring to it as mind body, even breath body, physical body. So it's the whole thing. Um, and who knows where that appears? So I got to work on all three and try to see which one's going to be the area that needs that focus. Yeah, a lot of a lot of what I teach is trying to get my students uh, to think about their body as something that they listen to mm-hmm. rather than something you make demands of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if just for only an hour, mm-hmm. uh, because we make so many demands on our bodies, you know, literally from the, mi- the minute we wake up until even when we sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll usually, I, I like to have fun in class and make jokes about it, but usually my joke is to tell them I'm a, I can, al- I can already hear their thoughts. Mm-hmm. See, I know I wear an Apple Watch because it also syncs in with, with the music and I'm doing all that. But I'll tell them, your body just texted me a message. <laughs> and they'll always be like, what? what? And I'm like, your hips just said, thank you. But you missed it. You missed the message because what you thought the hips said was, I'm bad. And I'm like, your, bads aren't, your hips aren't bad. Your hips would like you to stop pulling. So in your practice at home, what are you usually doing? Yin, restorative, or? what? I actually do it based planks. on what my body needs. I yeah. love planks. Yeah. I actually also do, um, Joe Faye got me to, in to realize that I wanted to do a mini trampoline again. Oh, wow. So I have a mini trampoline that I bounce on, too. And well sometimes it's so just neat. dog walking. Yeah. That's my practice. It says to, and I'll tell people, walk like a dog. Not really walk, but walk with an intention of a dog. Yeah. Like, are you on your phone? Are you busy waiting for them to do their business and you're going to move on? Or are you present? So... Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a home meditation practice too? Yes. Every day. Yes. I really admire you. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I I don't have the discipline for that yet. 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 It's yeah. never permanent. But even for a moment, if you just take a moment, right? Like right now, just take a breath in and out. <sighs> notice the walls. Notice the space. Right. Yeah. We just meditated, by the way. Exactly. Oh no. Oh no. Bring the mind back to stillness. Stillness and not stopping. That's where I think people have the misconception. And I was like, no, not still. Not I mean, not not stopping. And I tell them, not stopping means dead, not dead. Yay. Look, we just formed some meta meditation. Right, exactly. <laughs> In the middle of that, that just went, hey, wait, everything's actually good. One thing I noticed a lot, even in my early days of teaching, was this form of feeling that we were f- helping our students to fix their body. And I've really changed that over the years. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, I found myself an advocate of it, right? Like everything in my 200 was, well, this will work the hip and this will help the shoulder and this will. What do we really know about that now? I mean, I don't know. 
I found fixing to be still very judgmental. Sure. Comes with an assumption that it, there's something wrong with you. That there's something wrong with you. Yeah. So I spend a lot of my time trying to get people to stop fixing themselves. I said, you're not broken. And if we can start there, and you could see that, you know, the glass isn't just half empty or half full. It's a glass. Fill it up. Mm-hmm. Fill it up with kindness and compassion, and you'll be okay. You don't see that this is actually a good place that you're at. And that's what I try to teach them is just to be okay with where you are right now. Yeah, I see that a lot in, uh, in new yoga teachers and, and myself too, um, thinking that your job is to sort of go out there and uh, fix people, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Fix their psycho-emotional problems, fix their, um, you know, their, their sore back, mm-hmm. fix this, fix that. And, you know, over the years, I've just come to the realization that my job is to actually try and get people to realize that they can fix themselves if they do hard enough work. Mm-hmm. I want them to trust themselves. Yeah, They're their ultimate teacher. Um, and I say that even to those who I'm dealing with that are working with doctors. And so I don't want them to dismiss the doctors. I just want them to stop advocating over themselves to anyone and listen to themselves. Take in advice. These are just people trying to help you. Yeah. You're still in charge. Yeah, people, people come to me all the time with, I mean, they probably come to you all the time, too. They do this with yoga teachers mm-hmm. and Pilates teachers. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, my hip hurts. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, can you recommend what I do? And mm-hmm. well, well, they usually couple it with, I've been trying this. And I, I tell them, I just smile. Stop trying. Once you stop trying, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always tell them why I, uh, I can't really help you uh, until you tell me what a doctor says. Mm-hmm. Because well, I'm not the a hip, doctor. The hip is a big part of your body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, like even for a doctor who's a hip specialist, like she may not be, you know, know everything. Yeah. You know, it may be something completely. It may be your back. Yeah, but I'll be honest. I have doctors that come into my classes. Oh sure. Who, I've got a young student doctor, you know, who came in last week telling me about her back and her shoulder specifically, her upper back and shoulder. And she was showing me what she was doing to help it. And I was just like, to me, that just seemed so the opposite. You're doing more pulling. Of course, showed her the ball, showed her, showed her sandbag, showed her ways to do more countering. Next day, she came running to me going like, oh, my God, that just helped. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you as a future doctor, I need you to see that, you know, just understand possibilities. That Forget what somebody may have told you counter it sometimes try the other things i need you to be a good doctor that way is to not always know Mm -hmm. and i I think a lot of the times yoga doctors whoever we spend a lot of time where everybody expects us to have the answers we don't have to we can just hold space for i don't know what do i know about that yeah um this uh city and one of the things maybe we can talk about Mm -hmm. for a moment is it's full of type a people Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's always an answer to everything. Yeah. There has to be an answer. Yeah. The, um, the, you know, I always tell them, I said, and I know Nike told you just do it. I get it. But I need you to understand why you're doing it. <laughs> and is it right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did see a difference. There's difference, obviously, in D.C., um, even compared to other cities. I know plenty of people, you know, when I go to California to study. Totally different atmosphere. New York, different. Ca- Chicago. It's also different in other small towns. I've been in places where your closest yoga studio is you know, 20, 30 miles away, and it happens to be a center that does pole dancing on the side, too. <laughs> and you're like, nothing against it. I'm not saying that, but I'm, it's the only option. So I think D.C. is blessed by having so much diversity in choices, but it's also it can also be what hurts it. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I, I'm almost consistently trying to tell yoga students that what we're trying to do is not tell you that your type A-ness is bad, but that sometimes you need to let it go for it to perform efficiently. Mm-hmm. And that's again, type A that you're going to see. Yeah. And the ones who are type B <laughs> all the way through C, they're not going to come, come to the gym. So again, I, my point was, I think that we're, there's still a huge audience that we could be reaching. And that's when I tend to meet the young people who have just, well, not young in age, but young in their training, in their training of teaching yoga. They do a program, and then they're, oh, I want to teach at that place I just did the program. And then, of course, they don't need you. Or they'll talk about you subbing. Um, When I did mine, back in my day, you weren't expected to go to the studio. You had to go out. And, again, what I do is I'll meet people for tea on my own time. I just want to meet them. Mm -hmm. What's holding you back is usually what I'm talking about. I hear where they want to be. I hear the wanting, the craving. I want to be at the studio. Great, that isn't happening. What's your next plan? So we talk a lot about where else could you teach? No, it's not going to be the big popular place. It's not going to be the big bucks. I mean, that if that's your goal, intention, we have got to check it. Mm-hmm. Where else are you cutting yourself off of possible places to teach? You yeah. can teach at a park. You can teach at a community center. You can teach anywhere. There's just so many places to teach. I even taught at the homeless mm-hmm. places. And I'll tell you, it changes you as a teacher. Your language suddenly changes when you're not sitting there go- talking to people who care about, you know, the external things so much. They just want to get through the day and eat and be seen. It does change your language as a teacher. How do you do that? Like, how do you... How do you yeah, tell us about it that. It totally changes, you know, what you're saying. And you suddenly realize on the surface of, of it all, like, oh, this is a different audience. They really don't care about their hip feeling lovely or hip opener. They're not sitting there worried about um, the material things. Like, you know, they're, they're at a stage of just eat. I need to eat today. I need to clothe today. And it gives a different perspective. I felt as a teacher, I started watching what I was saying and going, that's irrelevant, <laughs> and that's irrelevant. Uh, homeless, for example, it's the idea of being seen. Think about it. Most people walk by and yeah, cast just ignore ignore them. Yeah. But to me, that again roots down to what the word namaste means. To be seen is pretty powerful. Yeah, what does it mean to you? Namaste is I see you, to me. I typically close my classes with, and I actually open and close, but I'll have the students actually open their hands out like they're waving both hands and to offer their own word of what that means because we talk about the fact that it's namaste what does it mean it could mean anything it could say ciao it could say hi it's just i'm i'm acknowledging someone else than myself in the room and then i have them move the hands around the room as they're quietly saying that around the room and i'm doing that purposely that says community because you could have you could have sat at home and done a jane fonda video (laughs) Right. Okay, let's take a time out here <laughs> and let's discuss the Jane Fonda Jane video. Fonda? Well, I was a child of the '80s, so let me just preface: uh, leg warmers. Yay! No, no, really, no. I, I did. I knew that Jane Fonda did yeah. this like whole thing with like uh, workouts, with but you probably didn't know the I yoga. Didn't know she had a yoga in video. the '90s. Mm-hmm. And I put it on, and I went, "What's this?" I mean, seriously, it's just leg lifts and back. I do that. Do you still have it? No, I don't have a 
DVR. <laughs> not even DVR, sorry. VHS. The VHS, yeah. I remember the VHS. We had VHS, not beta. You could probably find it on YouTube or something. Probably. Yeah. How many times do you think you did that video? Did you wear Just it out? Just a couple. Okay. No, no. That one I didn't wear out. I wore out her one from the 80s a lot more. Oh, really? Her, her aerobics First one. one, yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it was okay to say that that's where it started. Of my course. Are you kidding me? The one in college was much more interesting. It, was, it wasn't a physical class. What it did was discuss things like yoga, like tai chi, things that were helping people to mix and integrate both Eastern and Western practices. And I took that really because I was in my last semester going, I've got all these advanced classes. I've got enough. I could take an easy 100-hour class. And yet it intrigued me to do something that was also peaceful. So I did. Yeah. Um, Jane Fonda. I love, <laughs> I love it. No, seriously, we can stop for a moment and just think about this woman's career. I mean, talk about like just like reinventing yourself every, mm -hmm. you know, five years, six years. Mm -hmm. An incredible lady. Yeah, she has a new docu documentary out that was fascinating to see that. On Netflix? Where was it? Um, I believe it was HBO. HBO. But don't quote me, it could be Showtime. Yeah. So, um, so talk about kind of I want to get back to this idea that it kind of just occurs to me that far from being maybe yoga teachers, the best thing we can do as people who practice yoga is be ambassadors mm -hmm. for yoga. Mm -hmm. Meaning that just getting people to come to a class is the most important thing we can do. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's so much, there's this whole idea of what yoga is, you know, in the popular perception. Mm -hmm. um, and, that's already inside of people and getting them to overcome that just to get into the studio, um, I think is maybe one of the most important things we can do. And to be approachable sure. that way. Um, yeah. Yoga does a great job of like making us all seem like these fucking mystics who can like put our feet behind our heads. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I often tell people, you know, <laughs> especially if I have the skeptic, I can't touch my toes and I, I have them bend their knees and I said, you just did. Now exactly. Can, now can we move on? <laughs> But that's okay. Um, or my favorite is when people, when I tell people I teach yoga, uh -huh. I, n I immediately know in the next breath that what goes through their mind oh, yeah. is watch is, is a vision of me putting my foot behind my head. Yeah. I get the... I do not put my foot behind see, my uh, head. Not only the foot behind the head, I usually find when I say I teach yoga, which I've, I've, I've had more time so I can tell you, is, oh, I need to do that more. Oh, I should, I should do that more. I know, and I get a lot of should... I should be doing it more. I should do that. It's healthy. I should eat better. I should sleep better. And then I tell them they're shooting all over themselves. Nice. Thank oh, you. that is very yeah. cute. And then I'm like, you know, you are. You're, you're busy giving that. When you're mm -hmm. ready, you're ready. You meet there. Now is when you do it. But I've also stopped telling people I'm a yoga teacher. Oh, what do you say? I'm teaching people to feel better in their bodies. I like it. I just, it, I didn't do any different when I was a recruiter. If I told you I was a recruiter... You're going to shut down. Right. So there's nothing different in that that says before you shut down with your prejudice involved in yeah. trying to understand what that is, why don't I meet you with what I'm doing? So that's what I usually tell people. And do you find you're more um, attracted to now uh, teaching to special populations, or what we call special populations, or are you just? I think everybody's special. Yeah, people. no, that's true. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, but I mean, like, populations like people with PTSD, people who have, um, you know, prenatal, postnatal, that stuff, right. that sort of style, or. Um, it is where long term I do 
believe that I'll be there. I'm, I'm not going to kid you. I mean, I'm not going to be in a studio maybe all my life. Maybe I will. Um, but at the same time, the reason I can do 20 classes and teach full time, I don't feel burnt out. And that was important for me not to feel that each class, I, I know, it's a job. Every class I go to, every single one, I'm looking at who I'm dealing with. And everybody has been injured, whether it's something I can see or not. Sure. And if I approach it from there with how do I have to work with this person, whether it's two people in a room or 20, what's going on here? And where do they need me? And that's sometimes hard because you have to bring that game to it, which goes, it's not about you. It's not about, you know, your life and what's going on. And then that means you've got to show up early. You've got to feel centered and ready. You've got to have your things ready. And that takes preparation. That means also staying afterwards and not rushing off. For me, that's the whole gamut of understanding that it's an experience. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that I'm never bored. No class is the same. Yeah. It's not scripted for me that way. I mean, you got to be a little crazy to teach 20 classes a week. I do too. Right. But I, I would say it's not scripted. No, I, I have ideas. I'm not doing the same plans. I'm not doing the stick figures. That's just not me. Yeah, there's that element of uh, imagination that mm -hmm. comes along with it uh, and spontaneity. It you is. have to tap in or else you literally are just doing it by the numbers. And that is. And that there are times I'll say things. I'll be like, oh, my God, that's so great. I should remember that. And I'm like, after class, I'm like, what was that? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. And then and then the next step is, you know what? It happened once. It's going to happen again. Mm -hmm. It really does. Yeah. That's the magic of it yeah. to me that says there. Um, it doesn't surprise me that that conveys out to the students, that there's something deeper happening to them. How do you how do you hold or do you hold anything back? Like, how do you prevent yourself from feeling like a, just a wrung out sponge after your week of teaching? Having some personal time. Yeah. And having that time. Um, it is hard. My husband works from home and we struggle with the fact that he wants to go out and be with everybody. And I'm going, oh, no, that means <laughs> that means talking to people. <laughs> um, so I, I, I preface my time of, of this is my alone time. This is my quiet time where I won't talk and won't do things. Right. And I'm very good with finding that balance in it. Um, but most of it's just to understand, to find your own balance. I'll have people tell me, gosh, how do you, you know, that's horrible. you got to understand from my perspective, you're looking at the woman who worked, you know, as a CPA and recruiter. That was 60, 80 hour weeks all the time. So now I have a job where I go teach a couple classes. I'm off, go to the store, come home, walk the dogs, take a nap, read a book, go answer some emails, and then go teach two more classes. Yeah. Okay. So to me, it, it is the most balanced thing I've ever done. Yeah. And everybody's got to find their own balance with things. I, again, no children. I always get that, like, oh, you don't have children. That's what allows you. Sure. But we all find our own balance. Yeah. Um, all right. So I imagine you're going to have lots of resources for us, places people can go to learn about new stuff or stuff that inspired you. Let's start with mm -hmm. let's start with maybe books that you really love or books that you're reading. We mentioned. Yeah, I've almost, I'm a huge reader so I, I tell people go right to my blog if you want I wrote it years ago I still do put up the books I'm reading and I have them categorized between the geeky yoga anatomy stuff to just books that I feel are yoga inspired Yeah. so they're there um, Saltwater Buddha is one of my favorite ones right now <laughs> that I'm just in love with um, just 
genuine story about a young man who was trying to find the answers and loves to surf and how he equates that with his understanding of Buddhism and yoga. So. Any, uh, any websites you go to uh, over and over and over again to find inspiration or that you really like? Not so much the websites. I mean, I'm always looking at like Paul Grilly and, you know, um, but mostly various people that I follow, Eric Schiffman, well, follow his sites and um, pleased to say, you know, he's just a big inspiration to me to trust yourself. Um, but not so much like I'm learning like the new things from that. I'll do a little bit on Yoga International. Um, recently, Cindy Lee had a mindfulness training certification. I did it. it. It wasn't to do it because I needed the certification. I just wanted to sort of hear what she had to say about it. And mm-hmm. it was very fascinating. Um, and then uh, podcasts. Any podcasts you listen to besides, besides this yours. one? <laughs> 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 I, I happen to adore um, Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. <laughs> to me, just when I'm driving in traffic and doing things, just give me something I didn't know about that I really would love to know more about. So I love Stuff You Should Know. Um, and then uh, stuff, and then you do your own blog now. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that pre-stroke, but then when I had the stroke, I felt it was an avenue for me to to write, to mindfully write, which is a meditative form, and then put it out there. I don't, I still have no idea how many people read it, <laughs> but I have had those who have had what I what I had um, with the stroke after the dissection, and to be a beacon of wow. You know, I went through that, or I know somebody who went through that. That's helpful. Yeah, I'm glad to help others that way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's karma, right? That's karma yoga, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Putting it out there because it's good to put it out there. Yeah, the yeah. action of just, there it is. Yeah. No intention behind it. Yeah. So. Um, where can we find all your information? Do you have a website? Uh, Lay it on. I'm going to go old school. www, like we don't know that, right? Yeah. Uh, pagesyoga.com. And that's with an I, P-A-I-G-E. Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, if you haven't gone to the website, it's uh, it's pretty cool. There's lots of resources there. You can find out where she's teaching, what she's doing, workshops you got coming up, mm-hmm. stuff you're going to be doing. Uh, my no- Yoga Nidra is next Saturday, actually, down at Recharge. Once a month, we do a full hour. And there, it's in the beds. So I always tell people, yeah, if you haven't laid in the yogi beds. Right. It's, it's kind of like... A Jerry Seinfeld going to first class section where you're like, if it's your first yoga nidra, I'm going to just give you a disclaimer. You won't like it on the floor after that, but come see yeah. what it's like to lay in the beds, listen to an hour of it. I've had plenty of people skeptical. And by the end, they're like, oh, my gosh, you could have told me anything. And I just was so relaxed. So next Saturday, we do it once a month, the third Saturday, two o'clock. Cool. Um, tell us really quickly about Recharge, too, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people know about this place. It's one of its first of its kind where it's got the, the power nap as well as the meditation. Um, we've had, for example, the owner of Unplugged, which is pretty popular out in California. She came um, looking into it because, again, she, she has meditations all seated. So to actually have the beds to lay in allows us to put people in a much more comfortable state to support their neck so that they can do things like sound bowls, sound gongs. Yoga Nidra. We also do have the standard supine seated. Um, most people, though, once they've done the beds, they're, it's hard to get them to try others. But we're getting there. Um, we're, we're educating the office workers who are coming for 30 minutes that they can sit and that they can do mindfulness. So we've got mindfulness and distress and 
different ways that we can help them. Quick sessions where they can just take a quick break. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is now, after two years of being there, more it, it's regular. So now what you've got is this captive audience who says, I meditate so many days a week. And now it is possible. Because nothing against the apps. Most of them come in and go, I've got the app. And what do they do? They're shooting. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I love to teach with the app. I'll even sometimes break out my, my app and show them how we're going to use it now. Where most people forget is, is they thought they were supposed to stop thinking. And then we just work from there. Um, any other apps you really like? Hmm. Besides mind body. <laughs> oh dear. Kidding. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not a huge app person. Half the time I tell people my husband's the one that keeps me cool. I wouldn't have the Apple watch and know how to even use this if it wasn't for him. So right. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, I got my Bluetooth speaker and a lot of it's just that I can walk around and be portable in places that don't have these things. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for dropping by, Paige. It's Thank really you. been wonderful. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, I can be reached at dcyogapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you're listening to the episode on SoundCloud, try to like us. If you're listening on iTunes, try to give us a rating. Uh, we'll be back next time. Uh, I'm Chris Parkinson, and have a great day. Bye.